Prime field hands worth over a thousand dollars. You know that. So we got ten thousand in the bank of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And this look at what we got on the saddle on this trip. Hey, we better get out of here. They probably started after us by now. Quincy! Quincy! Yeah? Hey, how about we stop for a while? We just did. That was three hours ago. I don't know what's the matter with you. Bought you a mule so we could both ride, and now you're complaining more than ever. Couldn't you find something a little softer? Uh, don't tell me. But besides providing a breathtaking panorama of all sizes, that this fine old establishment also provides breakfast. Lord, Ma Quincy. Yeah. <laughs> Told all the way down here. Daisy can forget it, she knows. Who are Ma Quincy? Who we are. Ah, <laughs> wonderful. So, for $400. You had no call sell me off that way, Moss Quincy. I never done, did you know? Hey! Usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And here we are, live in the spoiler room once again, everyone. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and grabbing your favorite cup of sarsaparilla. As uh, look at that sharp ass mug, a kicking the seat sharp mug there. Look at that. This is a That's, gift from my father in law. That is one of a kind. That is <laughs> spiffy right there. That's sharp looking. Uh, and tonight, 
Yes, we are continuing our Skin Flicks Month, <laughs> where we are looking at films, not those Skin Flicks. That's a different show that we may do at one point. But no, uh, <laughs> this is Skin Flicks, movies with skin in the title. And uh, this was such a fun list to put together because I've got such a wide variety of films with skin in the title. And today is prime example of that. We are looking at a 1971 Western called Skin Game, directed by Paul Bogart and Gordon Douglas, and starring a number of familiar faces in this film. Uh, Ian, please give us the synopsis yes. of Skin Game. You do this so well. Um, imagine... Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, but oh, okay, it's Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. If it was a straight comedy instead of a farce, mixed kind of with Twelve Years a Slave and Django Unchained, and you have a movie that I, Mark, why does it take you <laughs> trying to program a? month of <laughs> movies with skin in the title to tell me about this movie how have i never heard of this thing before is one of my new all-time favorite movies this really? is this is fantastic mm -hmm. i can't stress how much joy i had watching this movie and like wondering what yeah again why does this have like this needs a it's got a Warner Archives DVD release, which I'm going to be purchasing. <laughs> nice, nice. But there's no, there's no Blu-ray. There's no, like, nobody talks about this movie. It's got James Garner and Louis Gossett Jr. doing essentially, like, Han and Chewie six years before Star Wars, <laughs> but in the Old West. And Candy Clark, 13 years before she was ma'am on Webster. Come on. Ed Asner. <laughs> America's treasure, Ed Asner, throwing around the N-word <laughs> like he's in a Tarantino movie. My God. <laughs> oh, it's got it's got all kinds of yeah, it's I and I just picked this one again because I was looking for a variety of different films that had skin in the title, and I ran across this, and when I saw who was in it, I'm like, huh. And then I too watched this and go. Wow, <laughs> where where has this film been? This is like this is like ten, what it would be fifteen years before we got a one a film that was in the spirit of this in the form of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. In a way, um, you know, as far as its spirit goes, that was different, but still, con uh, the con artists uh, meeting up with another con artist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't tell you what this film was about at all. I just kind of like went on this jag of praising no. it. But um, it's 1857. We meet up with uh, Quincy, played by James Garner, and Jason, played by Louis Gossett Jr., in a town called Dirty Shame, Missouri. That's the thing. Like all the towns that they run into have these like terrible, like weird names, uh, like Lost Cause or whatever. But um, no. So Quincy. Rides into town with Jason kind of trailing behind him. Goes into a fine establishment and offers uh, basically an impromptu slave auction. Says, I got to get, got to unload this guy and try and bring in a pretty penny. Sells him. And uh, later, Jason escapes. And we catch up with uh, Quincy and Jason later that night off in the, 
the wilderness outside of town by a campfire, laughing at the roofs that they've just conned out of like all this this money. And apparently they go from town to town throughout the old west and across you know across states. They try and hit towns that they've never been to before because they're pulling this con, but they just go and they keep reselling Jason over and over and over again for hundreds of dollars and stashing the money in, you know, they got a big bank account in Chicago. They're carrying around like wads of cash on them. Uh, but they've been partners for a long time and they're good mm -hmm. friends. Uh, well, they're friends in the way that in the as best for friends as con men can be because they never <laughs> quite trust each other and they're constantly bickering back and forth about you know the take and the con um yeah it's a it's a wonderful partnership and i i brought up 12 years a slave because i don't know if you, did you ever see that movie mark i unfortunately have not no okay um juatology for is mm -hmm. you know great in that film as he is and you know pretty much everything he is mm -hmm. he's in but the story of that was based on a true story it is about right. a man who was a free man, a uh, northerner who was black, who through a series of unfortunate events winds up becoming a slave mm. and is lost for, you know, years and like decades of his life and, you know, sold into slavery and, and horribly tortured and, you know, humiliated as was the way. Um, but this kind of relates to skin game in that, their cons kind of catch up to them hmm. at one point, uh, thanks to Mr. Ed Asner, who plays uh, Pluckett or Plunkett. 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 Yes. Yes. Um, who's uh, basically he? He's like a bounty hunter. He goes and and wrangles uh, slaves and brings them back to you know, uh, the, you know escape slaves and brings them back to their their masters, so called, for money. Uh, Jason runs afoul of him and he gets caught up and, and sold to this uh, plantation owner in Texas and ends up having to be, you know, a slave for a number of years. Uh, and in that, discovers a lot about, you know, himself and his people and the casts of, you know, blacks in America at that time. You've got, you know, the, the, the free people in the North. You've got the, the field workers, the house folks. And then you've got the newly uh, imported Africans, yes. like you know, actual don't speak from, the language. Yeah. yeah, and even it's 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 just crazy because you know a lot of the movies we get, there's like this kind of a solidarity among you know African Americans and and blacks, especially around this this time period. But there is this uh, in Skin Game. I don't know how historically accurate it is, but it feels honest. They're the people who, you know, like Jason, who were born in America in a different part of the country than, you know, I, he still suffers prejudice, of course. But even he, when he meets these these African tribesmen who are being held in a stable in this plantation, he freaks out because he gum, runs out screaming, cannibals, they're all cannibals. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna eat us. They're all savages. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a, for 1971, I think it is a richly layered and textured movie about racial politics that, I mean, you know, we don't even talk this way today. I think to our detriment. Well, and, and not just amongst uh, African-Americans in that, but also even amongst the, the, the uh, Caucasians in here, there's a tier of sorts, a, a pecking order. You know, there's, there's kind of a, a level as well, not nearly as much as what we see, but, you know, um, James Gardner's character, you know, he, he, 
It, it, it's funny. You're, you mentioned it's correct. They they have a very solid business partner relationship, and it's one of those where they're being the con men. They don't let themselves get too attached, but deep down inside, these are both really good guys, <laughs> and they do mm-hmm. they do care about each other. I mean, you know, at one point, uh, you know, he uh, Gardner's character goes to get uh, his buddy. <laughs> you know, even though he's a con man, and it's even called into question by Ginger. She's like, "Why? Why are you? You know?" <laughs> it's like, well, and, and we should talk about Ginger, uh, yes. played by the aforementioned Susan Clark. Um, you know, Quincy and Jason meet this woman in a town, and she's indignant that uh, Quincy is, you know, there to sell <laughs> sell this black man. It's 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 interesting because when they come into the town, there's these two. Kind of rallying factions. One, I think, it's for to, free. to make Kansas a free yeah. state. So you've got all these kind of political activists saying, you know, we've got to, you know, give people their dignity. And you've got other folks who are, you know, saying, no, we got to keep things uh, separate. Mm-hmm. Um, down to uh, when they first come in, Jason or no, Quincy introduces himself and says, "Hey, I'm from from Missouri." Someone hands him a five dollar gold piece. <laughs> he said, "Well, hey, I'm just going to tell everyone from Missouri." And he goes up to another person and says, "I am in town from Missouri." And he gets, I think, punched in the punched, face or yeah, something like yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. Because the idea is there are people from the anti-free state faction who are importing people from Missouri to come in and vote in their favor, right? <laughs> to essentially rig <laughs> the election. Uh, so, but yeah, and Ginger is you know this church-going, God-fearing woman who's indignant at the, uh, you know, indignity of slavery. But it turns out she's also a con woman who, in the course of about 10 seconds, steals Quincy's what watch and his gold piece and I think something this else. This is money, too. So yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Right, his money. So she kind of gets embroiled. It sort of becomes this bizarre, like, for a second, it's a threesome of con people, but then Jason gets separated, and then mm-hmm. Ginger and Quincy team up, and they kind of have a relationship, a budding relationship going that's part professional, part romantic, and they go to save him. And it's like this year. It feels like they're separated for a couple of years. It, it's uh, at least... It's two. It's at least two months, if not more, because what ends up happening in the whole thing... I thought it was, I thought it was two years. I, my, maybe I misheard it, but... Well, because what ends up happening in this whole thing is, like you said, the cons catch up to him. Plunkett ends up recognizing them. And uh, 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 Gardner's character, I keep forgetting the names. Um, Quincy. Quincy. He gets put in jail, and they end up taking uh, Jason to the slaver. Um and Quint, he's got a beard, but it's only like two months. It it it, it mentioned two months because his beard is like full on, which is oh, it is two months. Yeah, I wrote yeah. that. I have that in my notes. Sorry. Yeah, well, from when they break out, so he's yeah. because it takes him a while to get Jason and this slave girl who Jason becomes very uh, romantically attached to Naomi. Naomi, yeah. Uh, they end up uh, traveling with Plunkett to this one. Uh, slaver uh this plantation and meanwhile quincy's been in jail and he helps get broken out by uh by ginger in this wonderful scene it the way these three play off each other throughout this entire film is just is just wonderful the 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 way these three individuals play off each other especially when you get garner and uh clark together the way they play off each other as well it's just 
I love her character. I love the ginger character quite a bit. She is impressive. And what's interesting about it is even though Quincy's out across the country looking for Jason, they're still in the con. So he and Ginger, while they're looking for Jason, are also conning people by posing as doctors or priests uh, talking about leprosy. <laughs> yeah, essentially trying to get everybody they come across who's a slave owner to convince them that, yeah, there's a, there's a disease or leprosy going around, so they need to check their slaves. They're trying to you know track down Jason. And as you mentioned, the process make some coin on oh well we've got the tonic or you know well we can't we can't give you this until you cut us a check to build you know for five hundred dollars to build a wing for uh, a treatment treatment center or whatever back in wherever they're from yeah yeah it's they're always they're always working it um and yeah it's just it's so fun it's you know wacky disguises and all this stuff but what really struck me is you know lewis gossett jr a i don't think i ever knew the guy having hair Uh, (laughs) you're right it's a little it's like huh (laughs) so to see him as like a young you know 30 year old guy and and usually i'm i'm i think like after an officer and a gentleman Mm -hmm. you know kind of he not to say he was typecast but typically he was known for more serious Mm -hmm. or stern kind of roles right uh like iron eagle one of our favorite films you know chappy for life but to see him in a comedy is just so so much fun. Um, you know, his chemistry with James Garner is again, I don't I understand why this movie isn't talked about. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's 1971 and if you had, you know, Tar- Tarantino is pretty much the last person that can get away with throwing around that many n bombs and yeah. and and derogatory, you know, stereotypes mm-hmm. about blacks, Indians, you know, everybody. You can't show this at a at a you know music box retrospective, <laughs> although it should be shown because there is racism in this movie, but it is not a racist movie. It is what you might, unfortunately, term I guess an anti-racist movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's what you want to see as far as messaging without being preachy. It's it goes along with what you were saying that it has it it definitely has a spirit of Blazing Saddles in a way. You know, for those who call Blazing Saddles a racist film as well, obviously haven't really watched or paid attention because it's not making fun of race. In fact, you know, the the best character in Blazing Saddles is a good-looking black guy who's smarter than pretty much everybody in the movie, <laughs> you, you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And in here, our con artists... Yes, he he's doing the con of of selling his buddy, but as the movie goes along, we learn that these two have been traveling doing different con games for quite some time, and this is the only one that they found profitable, but even when Quincy's talking about it, you can tell he's not he doesn't exactly enjoy it. He he the, the con, but it makes them money. So he doesn't see the angle, you know. Whereas Jason's like, dude, I'm a free guy. I'm educated. New Jersey, this is not. And he's like, yeah, I get it. And they're they're sticking it to the racists the whole time. Just even Ginger and Quincy, when they're going to look for Jason, they're sticking it to the slave owners by by putting this fear in them and getting what would be a lot of money 
from 18 five hundred dollars in 18 what 1853 or something like that right and they had ten thousand dollars in the bank in chicago they had that's that's unheard of right and they had 6500 in their little envelope before ginger took it from under their saddle they had 6500 uh that slave auction thing was uh was pretty great where uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where those those two those two older guys were trying to outbid each other for Jason and just like driving up the price and the one guy's like I didn't he basically the the one guy ended up buying him for like thirty five hundred dollars or something ridiculous like that and the first guy says ha the joke's on you I came here without any money he turns out his pockets um, but yeah it's a but it's also a great moment of tension because you see. Uh, Quincy was supposed to buy Jason or buy Naomi for a thousand dollars, and they had some money left over to buy Jason per their usual con. Mm-hmm. But there was a cap to it, and those two other guys kept like going up and up and up. And there was a real danger that if they went over the sixty-five hundred or whatever, right. fifty-five hundred, I guess that he had left, there could have been some real trouble. Trouble that we do see later in the movie, but. Um, yeah, I, this had the perfect balance of like comedy, sincere drama, and tension. Mm-hmm. It's again, this movie needs to be seen by more people, but <laughs> it's not gonna be. <laughs> no, and and there's genuine feelings between Quincy and Jason. It's like Quincy, you know, Jason's really like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And and you know, Quincy being the con man, but still, he's like, all right, okay. You know, one final job. You know, of course, it was not one final job. And Jason kind of knew Quincy was it. But, you know, he was sincere in, in, at that moment. Uh, but, yeah, the, the relationship between everybody is just, ah, uh, I loved watching all these scenes together with these people. And then, like you said, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. bringing some serious moments when he was talking serious to Quincy. It's like there was this hilarious moment where, uh, you know, Quincy just got robbed by Ginger, and <laughs> he needed money, so he actually takes Jason outside and goes, "I need to borrow three bucks." And Jason's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment. It's like, <laughs> well, it's and it's something that that kind of it's a thread throughout the movie that kind of comes to a head at the end where. Quincy is, and yes, this is a spoiler room, folks. Uh, Quincy is uh, strung up on a whipping post yeah. and given several lashes. What's great, I think, about these two characters is they are con men who meet, you know, in jail for having done essentially similar cons. You want to talk about a lack of political correctness? <laughs> they both show up. There are fortune tellers who had these like makeshift like swami turbans on, you know, um, but. There's always this, not exactly attention, but an understanding that they're partners, but one is at a distinct advantage over the other. Yep. Because, you know, there's always a danger that Jason could be sold or stolen or the wrong mistake, and Quincy could walk right out of there, and Jason would have other, you know, consequences because of his skin color. And Quincy, over the course of the film, he gradually comes to understand this tension in a way that they hadn't before because they're used to just skipping into town, doing their little game. It's a Mm -hmm. game to them. It's a skin game and then leaving. 
Well, when they get caught, they realize just how bad those consequences are. And to the point where it's like, yeah, he ends up on a whipping post and uh, treated like a subhuman animal. And it's just lucky that <laughs> that the, the, the so-called cannibals were uh, just waiting in the barn with the with swords and, well, well, and, Jason, and whips and whatever. Jason had planned that because he had, there was this moment where, uh, where we were talking about earlier in the town where they had the bidding war between the two older gentlemen. And just when they're going to get this money, suddenly those for the free state of Kansas, these, this crazy, I guess, you know, this, this crazy wilderness guy with a, a bit of a, a following comes into town, frees all the slaves, and they're just like, wait, wait, no, no, we want the money. What are you doing? And he rides off with Jason, and Jason bails. And so Quincy goes after him, and and Jason comes up behind him, posing as an Indian. Again, not exactly politically correct, folks. Uh, but, you know, he, he, makes some, he makes some words up, and, you know, Quincy's like, actually, that sounded pretty authentic. Well, it comes into play later when he's in the barn and he finds the a Africans there. Uh, he starts rattling off words, and suddenly one of the things he says, they understand. So he starts trying out more words, and soon they're listening to him, basically. And he trains them to be able to grab weapons because he was planning an escape before Ginger and Quincy just happened upon the plantation where he was at. Um and it's it's a cool story idea, but if we're going to throw around the, the the P word problematic, it is a bit. Yeah, I don't quite know how I feel about that mm -hmm. because I'll I'll forgive the whole like Indian get up and, and all that and making up the language because they are portraying 1857 Missouri. Yeah, they didn't have Internet and they didn't necessarily <laughs> have, you know, friendly natives that they could go and say you know hang out and say oh tell me more about your culture enlighten me they probably yeah. just knew them from what they saw what they read in like you know news <laughs> news pamphlets and pulp you know stories uh so when jason comes up behind quincy and starts like kind of making up this what we call very stereotypical you know indian talk yeah it's kind of a gag but to find that that works on native Africans, like a mumbo jumbo language that's not even from that same culture yeah. and it just kind of works. I'm like, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That when James Garner shows up and he's like, how do you know their language? And I was like, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> I think it had, I think it had more to do with the forcefulness and the tone of some of the words and the emphasis he right. was putting on it. That sounded more like commands and maybe it was just happened to be, because it's not just like one word. He, as he you knows put a it, number. Kind of yeah. trains them. Right. So I'm supposed to believe that by making stuff up, he happens to pick up on keywords that mean attack or bow or I'm your chief in this African language that is on a completely different continent than the one they're on. <laughs> like, eh. Yeah. It, it, you know, yeah, that, that part was a little bit like, eh, okay. But I think. Like you're saying, I, I took it more as the way he says those lines is how they interpret it. I mean, uh, you know, the un these unfortunate folks are in a strange land where, where you know, no one 
understands a word they say, and they don't understand anything that's really happening. And so you have a gentleman who sounds authoritative. So, you know, I think, you know, they, 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 they went along with it, if nothing else, um, just from the, from his, the way he presented the, the language more so than what he was actually saying. Um, yeah, but it was, it was still a bit proud. I'm like, okay, you know, okay, (laughs) you know, all right, you know, but, but he uses it to, to give the command for them to come out and totally obliterate the the plantation folks. Which gets to the, the Django Unchained, you know, this kind of great revenge fantasy, which again, for 1971, I mean, Blazing Saddles was a few years before this, but it's just still, it had that, that kind of, righteous mm-hmm. justice kind of like in entertainment thing again without beating you over the head with it um the one other thing i'll say and it's a nitpick with my 2023 glasses on because <laughs> i know i you know sure, i love to put sure. those on but i was genuinely shocked when jason meets naomi in the barn jason is sent out to the stable where you know quincy gets to spend three dollars as you mentioned in a nice hotel for the night but because jason is who he is he has to sleep on the barn he goes he chains himself up and he's kind of talking to himself because he's got the public face of the you know oh lord and master you know kind of you know stereotypical slave speak but he is a you know, kind of a well-educated, you know, New Jerseyan. So when he's in private, he's talking, you know, he's just communicating without the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Naomi is up in the loft in the barn. She's been chained up. She's a newly, you know, she has just been put into bondage by right. her owner. She catches, you know, Jason, kind of figures him out. He goes up into that loft and yeah. they're talking to each other and stuff. And he starts like caressing her and stuff, yeah. and she's just like totally into it. And then it's like the fade to black. I don't think anything yeah. happened in that moment, except maybe they cuddled up. But I'm like, that's a you know that is a byproduct of the 1970s. That, like <laughs> that, that was a creepy. That was a cre- a bit of a creep creepy moment. Yeah, I, I even I I fully admit I'm like, oh you're gonna go. Oh you're going. Okay you're. See you're I didn't going. I didn't find it creepy. I just found it kind of presumptive. It will that, prism. You know, yeah, it, it's because yeah. he wasn't. He was being very affectionate. I mean, it it it, it was clear to me that they liked each other. Right. But it was okay. They met two minutes ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, a little bit more related. And honestly, there was something else that there was a thread that I thought they were going to explore more that they didn't, because at that auction right before the the kind of revolutionaries show up. Um, and Royal Dano plays, uh, was it Big John or mm-hmm. uh, John Brown? John Brown. Uh, he says, uh, to the new Jerusalem, <laughs> before he like <laughs> leads everybody out of town. <laughs> but no, right before that, when uh, Naomi uh, is purchased by Quincy, he hands over the, the money and the, the, the deed, I guess, or whatever the hell it is, the guy who sold her was the, the young boy, because she grew up in this family, with a little boy who is her age they grew up together so she's 19 i guess he's 19 and he's the one who ended up selling her off you could tell that he was very affectionate towards her i thought they were going to try and do something where he 
didn't want her to leave or mm-hmm. didn't want her to be a slave or something like that um, and explore that storyline. But no, that that gets brushed aside with the with the revolution. Yeah. Well, I mean, they play at it. It was an interesting and, you know, modern filmmakers, you your two and a half hour films or whatever. They give you they give you enough backstory with Naomi in a little couple minute montage in here to get you to completely understand where they're going with her relationship with the young man who had to sell her because she mentions how he had an arranged marriage and his new wife wanted Naomi out of the picture. And that's why he was putting her up for auction uh, reluctantly, you know. And yeah, when we get to meet this guy, you could tell there's something there, but he's held to his status and his situation. And he's just like, she likes this food and she's like that, you know. And I thought for a minute they were going to play the angle of, oh, maybe he, you know, deeds it back to the guy or something, you know, or, or, or whatnot, but they don't. And, and But I'm glad they didn't, uh, you know, because I'm like, well, how would James feel about that? Because because Quincy uses a thousand dollars of James cut to Jason, Jason, excuse me, Jason's cut to get Naomi. So she doesn't go to a different slaver. And he he's successful with that before the revolutionaries show up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm fine with it being a dangling thread, I, except for the fact that, you know, when Naomi enters the picture, you kind of feel like it's going to be a thing with Jason and Naomi, and it kind of is, mm-hmm. but the second half of the movie becomes much more about Ginger and Quincy's relationship. Right. We yeah. do catch up with Jason and Naomi, they are together and everything, but her she slides more into the background she becomes mm-hmm. more of a we're going to cut to her to get a reaction to what else is going on right. and she has less i guess i'll say agency as a character mm-hmm. than ginger does and that's a shame because i don't know who the actress was um who played oh, naomi uh, uh, she, brenda sykes yeah brenda okay. sykes she was in a, a number of uh, uh black exploitation films uh, at the time not a huge amount of work, but she was in, I think, uh, Foxy Brown, was it? Uh, not Foxy, uh, the, uh, uh, um, oh, I forgot which, I was looking, uh, her work up because, yeah, she was in a couple of those, uh, uh, films with Pam Greer and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did work there, but not a, a huge amount of work. But I, I liked her character. I wanted to see more of her character too, uh, quite a bit. Um, and you know, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and the st- the profile picture of her is of her and Louis Gossett Jr. in completely different outfits. So I right. it looks like they starred in another movie together, which I gotta find out what that is. Because yeah, it, I I like I liked her character, and I liked the there was that something about her. She had that je ne sais quoi. <laughs> I'm like, I want to see more of her. I, I like you know Candy Clark. She was good in this, but it would have been nice to. Yeah, again, you know, modern filmmaking, it would have been a two-and-a-half-hour movie. I could have done with an, another half hour to give her to more story some, to find out what's going on with her. Yeah. Spend, time, spend some more time with her and and Jason, you know, seeing how they're handling things. One of the interesting things I uh, thought was an interesting scene was um, when Jason's first there, he gets, he gets bought by this guy, Calloway. 
and when he's first there, he steps out of line and he gets he gets mm. whipped brutally. Um, and so they're taking care of him. His his uh, you know the the other slaves are helping take care of him, and Naomi's there. And there's this interesting thing to where he's like, I don't know how to be, what what are the rules, he asked, because he had no clue. And they taught him about how not, you know, what you need to do. <laughs> you got to put this aside. You got to put, you know, your your free, your, your, your free man mentality aside. And it's, it's you got to be polite. Don't look at anybody <clears throat> in the eye. If you're questioning it, look at the, you know, uh, the head of the 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 house uh, uh, servants and that and I just thought it was an interesting thing to where you have the, you know have him and he's just like he he's not picking up on what he has to do to not get whipped and so he asks them you know and they just they're like yeah no you just got to do this and this and he's just like ah you can tell it 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 really burns him to have to do that but he doesn't want to get whipped again either. So, well, it's, it, you know, it's a couple of things. <clears throat> One, you know, it kind of shows where Jason is at, having come from, you know, New Jersey. And right. Again, we only really see what his life was like after he's hooked up with, uh, with Quincy. But you get the feeling that he hasn't spent a lot of time around, you know, slaves right. or other people. He's kind of in and out of town. To him, slaves are mostly the way or, you know, other lower caste, mm. you know, southern blacks. Are the way that we kind of see them in this movie for in a lot of ways just background characters yeah right so when he's having to interact with them and, and figure out what the whole deal is it's like well yeah he wouldn't necessarily know anything about this this life and that's you know it's a privilege but it's also mm-hmm. kind of sad and you see his eyes kind of opening to things and and he doesn't want to leave people behind and he convinced quincy that it's you know not right, right to that that it's worth them jeopardizing their freedom and possibly losing their money to do what's right. Um, but that scene where he's on, you know, introduced to Callaway's uh, plantation or whatever it is, they say, you know, if you have any problems or if you have any complaints, you know, just tell Mr. Bass. He'll uh, mm-hmm. he'll consider it. And if it's worth bringing to my attention, I'll find out about it. So it sounds kind of nice. And that lulls Jason into thinking, oh, well, I got a couple of things to say. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Calloway. Uh, I don't actually belong here. I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. And I'm well educated, and you know, there's been a horrible mistake, and yada yada yada. And the, you know, Calloway says, "Well, I, I've never, not in all my years." And then Jason keeps going on and on and on, and he's like, "I've, I never, I've never heard anybody, any of you, you know, mm-hmm. people, whatever, speak like this." And he says, "If I ever hear it again." I'm going to blow your black ass off. Yeah. And that just the look on Jason's face when just like all he realizes he's dealing with a combination of a monster and a moron and he has no hope left. He's just stuck here and he's got to figure something else out. I mean, yeah, again, Lewis Gossett Jr., man. Oh, he Fuck. sells it. Well, he even he even rolls off an interesting quip because it, it shows. And I didn't mean to give the. Impl- imply it all that he should know, you know, rules or whatnot. I just thought it was an interesting scene later on where he has to ask, you know, like you said, where he kind of how he envisioned slavery actually was versus what it actually is and experiencing mm-hmm. firsthand because he had not had that 
before I thought was an interesting dynamic you don't see a lot of in films like this. Uh, but the he that I- initial interaction with Calloway, when Calloway first is looking at him confused, like, I've never heard anything like that before. He rolls off, goes, oh, it's the New, Jer- New Jersey accent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like sitting there going, no, no, it's not. And you're in the audience going, dude, Jason, shush. J- Jason just, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And, and Calloway is played wonderfully by Andrew Duggan, who would go on to do uh, the uh, It's Alive films later on. He plays uh, the professor in the It's Alive and uh, the sequel to It's Alive uh, B-horror films. But here he just plays this vile character so well. You just hate this guy so, so much. Um, and and the way he plays him I thought was great. I mean, and like you mentioned, look at Ed Asner as Plunkett. It's like I'm like sitting here going, my brain is having a hard time watching him be this this character that you're just like i want i want you bad to happen to you but you're ed asner you're <laughs> <laughs> he plays a good heavy um he does and i i love his introduction because before we see him really we see this kind of procession of the people that he's bringing back you know mm-hmm. from from being runaway slaves and mostly like their feet you can they're all chained together and there's like horses and stuff but they're walking some of them are walking barefoot some have just like rags that are you know strapped to their you know or tied to their Mm -hmm. feet and you just wonder how he talks about how i think when it came to like negotiation for for a decent price for jason he's like yeah i lost you know however many people on the on the road out here so i gotta compensate it for that like oh my god like just it's it's uh again this movie shows you it doesn't tell you mm-hmm. it illustrates the the horrors of slavery mostly through the mundane business transaction everyday kind of way of life uh banality of evil way mm-hmm. rather than and as much as i love 12 year 12 years of slave it did get very graphic with the violence like the the whipping scene was like something out of passion of the christ you don't need all that. No. All you got to do is show it, you know, this is what certain people could do and this is what certain people could not do and isn't that fucking terrifying? It it is. It is terrifying and and yeah, they show just enough in here because it's it's played as comedy, but you get these kind of heavy moments. Uh it's just like when yeah, when we first see Plunkett too, it, it's interesting because he's negotiating the price and he starts to reach into his into into his vest and Quincy just pulls out the gun and goes just bring out that hand empty knowing full well this guy was just about to pull a gun and shoot him and take take Jason he's like yeah no you know (laughs) but what I appreciate to them having Quincy get whipped because it it, it's twofold one it, it, it plays out the way the story he got caught he's you know, Calloway's people caught him posing as a priest, realizing that he's in with Jason. You know, Jason and him think they're home free. Uh, but also it gives Quincy, I think, that next level of understanding he he needed to really understand about, yeah, we're not going to do another 
game like that. We're not going to do another skin game because he was like, oh, no, we, we we still, you know, sure, we won't do it. But he is only doing it half heartedly. And then him getting whipped, I think, gives his character that that final realization of exactly what this means. And, you know, when they do free him, he goes and he just socks the freaking slave master, you know. And it, it helps, It helps. I think, with Jason's argument of going, look, we can't just leave these people behind. We, we all have to go. Uh, you know, and he's like, ah. and then he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's all these kind of like multi-level identity mm-hmm. things, you know, playing out throughout the movie. Uh, one thing I was getting really tense when Jason is, I think it was when he was sold to... Uh, to Plunkett, who eventually right. sold him to Callaway, but that kind of standoff in the in the town square where he and Quincy are trying to escape, and they get confronted right. by the two people who would, they had both bought Jason for four hundred dollars mm-hmm. or something. So there's a dispute. Jason goes on the attack, and he starts like you know trying to fight people, and you could tell that he and he says this, you know, I'm a free man, I'm from New Jersey, and all this other stuff, and I have to put up with this, but he does because of where he's at and who he is in that situation. Um, but you just see, like, yeah, he shouldn't have to put up with any of this nonsense. No. But you could. I don't think there's any cutaways to anybody else who mm-hmm. might be watching this in the town, but you can almost get the feeling of if there were other blacks in the street, they'd be like, I, no, I, I would yeah. not. No, you do <laughs> You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the, they've been uh, conditioned and they're, and they're living in those circumstances. But yeah, there's just like, you feel so bad because like, yeah, I kick the shit out of those guys and I hope you don't get killed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting too with that scene because here we think our two con men have been managing to pull it over on the dumb uh, white yokels for most of you know this while now. But then they're here, and when Plunkett's there, and the guy, sh- well, other guy shows up, going, "Yeah, I bought the same slave, whatever," and he escaped. And Quincy's like, "Yeah, yeah, he needs to go to him because he knows what type of guy Plunkett is." Yeah. And Plunkett's like, "No, I bought him for two hundred." The guy's, "Well, I bought him for four hundred. And the guy, the guy is like, "Well, you know what, Plunkett, you could have him for four hundred and for And Quincy's like, "Wait, wait, no, this did- isn't going the way." <laughs> <laughs> right. And partially that's because Plunkett knows that he can get, you know, three times that much or, or twice that much right. by selling to Callaway. So it's like, yeah, he'll, he'll cut him a, you know, double his price and all that stuff. Again, you talk about it's almost like people selling used cars. Yeah. You know, the way so, they talk about it. Casual. Is, yeah. Right. And you've got, you know, Jason standing there, the, the combination of, you know, I can't believe these people are trying to sell me. Yeah. <laughs> Along with, I hope I don't get sold to the wrong person. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting layers going on in this film. And I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot, I'm going to say, it was a lot better and a little bit deeper than I thought it was going to be when I watched the trailer for it. Um, I'm like, huh, okay, okay, you know, I'm in. All right, it's going to be kind of a light, 70s early 70s western okay you know 70s westerns are odd they're just odd beasts in general but in this one i'm like wow this has actually got meat to it you know and by the end of it i'm like 
wow, that was that was a solid film. Just you know, all together, story and performances and everything. I mean, for for its time when it was made. Well, that's the other thing. This is a PG rated movie. Yeah. I mean, I know times have changed and everything, but it's not just that it was you know parental guidance suggested. Yeah. It's the it's the nutrition of the sophisticated ideas right. and the drama and the comedy they're playing. I mean, the PG movies don't look like this anymore. This is like we were talking about before. This is like closer to prestige Oscar bait you know, <laughs> kind of stuff, not, not general audience <laughs> things. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, some interesting trivia. This is uh, Warner Brothers' 1500th release by wow. this point in 71. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things. There was a sequel to this. A 90-minute TV movie called Sidekicks is directed by Burt Kennedy, uh, based on this movie. Uh, unlike the movie, the television version was set after the Civil War. Louis Gossett Jr. plays Jason again, but James Gardner character was now played by Larry Hagman. <laughs> right? It was intended gotta, to be a pilot, but it didn't didn't take off. A post Civil War um, s- slave comedy for TV. Uh, I mean, if they can have Hogan's <laughs> heroes, why not? I, I, why but, not? Uh, <laughs> no, I want to find that pilot. I mean, I, I wonder if it's on YouTube or something. Or again, uh, you know, Warner Brothers dig all that shit up and put on a special, you know, two disc edition. Uh, skin game set or something because yeah. yeah this is and then a couple other interesting tidbits Lewis Gossett Jr. and Ed Asner would once again work together when it comes to Roots that it was out and then uh, Gardner and Lewis Gossett Jr. were together in a couple episodes of the Rockford Files here's the thing I'm embarrassed to say this but I've never seen Roots I think my well I remember it was on TV. I think when I was very, it was very a young. big, yeah, it was a watched, big event. Yeah. yeah, I think my parents watched it, but I was, mm. you know, probably two years old or something. Mm. Um, and also, I've never seen the Rockford Files. I I don't know much about James Garner aside from the movie Tank with C. Thomas Howell, which my dad loved <laughs> and watched all the time back when on HBO night mid eighties. Oh, fucking Tank! Yeah, I remember Tank. That was a big Gardner. That was a big Gardner. <laughs> But again, watching him in this in this movie, I brought up the Han Solo and Chewie thing because I feel like he's got that same kind of roguish, but you know he's yeah. a he's a he's a professional kind of pirate and he can get the job done. But he's also a bit of a fool. You know, he can't he can pull on over on like a stormtrooper, but not his partner. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's got those kind of like those Harrison Ford Han Solo kind of reactions when he's being made fun of by his best friend you know that kind of hound dog way um that just yeah he's so cool in this movie and so is lewis gossett jr so is candy clark like this is just such a cool movie and you wouldn't think oh it's a 1971 western no it's like this thing is way ahead of its time it is in a lot of ways it, it definitely is ahead of its time um I was surprised of how good it was, and I was happy <laughs> to pick it. I was happy that it was that that good, you know, because I'm like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm like, I love Lewis Gossett 
Jr. Uh, and, and he's in here as Lou Gossett. But I'll watch him in anything. He's he's just one of those performers that he's one of those guys where oh this movie's got a bit okay I'll watch it even if it's Iron Eagle three I'll watch it okay uh, <laughs> I saw Iron I draw Eagle, the line of Iron Eagle three I saw I, 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 the line. I saw three in the theater so you know I fully ad- admit it uh, <laughs> um you know the the writing in here is there there's so many great one liners mm-hmm. um. I think one of Jason's lines is, I'm going back to New Jersey where people are people. Um, <laughs> they also, when they're when Jason and Quincy are talking about uh, Naomi, mm-hmm. and Quincy says, you mean she's a slave? And Jason says, yeah, there are some real ones, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just that cluelessness of like, yeah, hey, we're just doing jobs, we're having fun. And like, no, you're actually in the middle of a, of a severe cultural, you know, revolution um you've been through my pockets more than i have today yeah i think think Quincy (laughs) said that to ginger (laughs) oh ginger's gets another gets a great ginger gets a great moment in here that it's a pg movie but i swear it was her uh uh, subconsciously saying fuck you and it was it was when uh she first confronts him and and she takes his stuff or whatnot he she talks about slavery and quincy kind of defends his his stance, you know, because he's playing the con of a, a slave owner, and she just stops and she goes, "God loves you," and walks away <laughs> to where she says it in such a tone like "fuck you." Uh- <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a southern thing, uh, right? If yeah. you ever hear some, if you ever hear someone say "bless your heart," they don't mean that. No, no, they <laughs> no, they do not. They do not at all. Oh no, I know that one. I know that one quite a bit. So I think the last line of the movie is, um, or one of the last lines, because they go off into the sunset, Ginger and and Quincy, but Jason had taken most of their money, left them with like 14 bucks. Yeah. um, Except for the Chicago money, I guess, where they have to get there, is she says, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And, And Quincy... James Garner delivers one of the all-time like it's right up there with Shatner yelling "Con" in Star Trek Two. What he he realizes Ginger's taking all their money. He says, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of great moments, a lot of things. I mean, yeah, a bit problematic, but overall, I, I like Skin Game. I'd recommend it. What about you, sir? Oh, I, I love Skin Game. I I want to yell it from the rooftops, <laughs> but I have a feeling if I did, people are like. Why you like this racist old movie? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> again, it's another one of those films where it does have its moments because it is in the '70s. But overall, the overall picture of it, you got to pay attention of what's actually going on, the interaction yeah. between the characters, the dialogue, you know, everything, the situations that are going on. You're right. Overall, there there's a lot of interesting things being addressed in here. Um, in a way, you know, that you might not expect for a film like this that's that's played off as a supposed, you know, con artist comedy of sorts. You know, I, I told my wife, this is before I finished it because sure. I watched it in a couple of different parts, but I was like, I cannot wait to watch this movie with you. And <laughs> I said, I got a really great movie we should watch together. And she's like, what is it? And I said, it's called Skin Game. And she was like, <laughs> 
gross. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It's not like the usual movies Mark and I watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, I see how. Oh, that's great. She's going to have this wonderful opinion of me now. It's like, oh, oh you're talking to that, that Mark guy again. He makes you watch those movies. Okay, I see how that goes. <laughs> Broadens my horizons. That's what I say. <laughs> oh, oh, that doesn't that doesn't help much. Say broaden your. That doesn't help much. Uh, just so for some perspective for folks, uh, they keep tossing around monies uh, in this. Like uh, Plunkett says, he doesn't get pay any more than two hundred dollars for a slave, or people are throwing it back five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. I looked it up. A hundred dollars in eighteen fifty seven. Uh, what do you? How much do you think that is today, Ian? Five thousand dollars. A hundred dollars. You're close, actually. Well, you're you're the ballpark. Thirty four hundred dollars. Thirty four hundred dollars equal a hundred dollars. So if you're talking five hundred dollars back in eighteen fifty seven, these plantation owners are throwing around a lot of money. And then, putting it in perspective, if they've got $10,000 in the bank in Chicago, they've got some bank. Yeah. You know, they, that's, that's some serious money that they've got, you know. But they love the con, you know, so much. Not so much the skin game con, but these con artists that's in their blood, they can't help themselves. So even though they've got money that they could retire on easy. They split 50-50. They got enough money to retire and live comfortably for the rest of their life. They're still doing the con. <laughs> well, it's it's also interesting because the skin game, and we don't get a whole lot about, you know, the rest of their, their con lives except kind of hints of some of the scams they ran before. But the skin game is almost the most honest <laughs> righteous version of being a con artist as you can be it's just like going on going around like ripping off white slavers <laughs> as opposed to like fortune telling scams right, or yeah. you know quincy and ginger are going to do some kind of like a gold rush scam you mm -hmm. know uh, you know later on at the end of the movie or after the movie's over i guess but yeah it's kind of unfortunate that they're going to stop doing the skin game because it's almost like a robin hood thing right you know? <laughs> almost almost so there you have it, folks. Skin Game, 1971. Seek it out if this discussion at all wet your whistle. We haven't spoiled everything about it. It should be seen, especially if you're a fan of Louis Gossett Jr. and or James Gardner or both. Uh, you should see it. And for Ed Asner in a different role, who's enjoying playing a bad guy. <laughs> I always love, you know, I always love these actors who usually get the, the kind of good guy role or the, the friendly role or whatever, when they actually manage to get a role where they can be a bad guy, they play it so, they like drip with you. They just like enjoy it so much, it seems. Well, I, but honestly, I don't believe in trigger warnings, but I kind of want to give one for this movie. If you're a yes. big Ed Asner fan, I'm not kidding when I, like <laughs> I was uncomfortable with the frequency and the yes. ease with which he was throwing that word around. I'm like, I, cause I, I sometimes wonder about this. Not mm -hmm. so much today because you don't really see it anymore today, right. but when you've got those scenes where people, mm -hmm. you know, throwing out these racial epithets to or around actors, even though they're playing characters, like what does that do? 
yeah you know do they have like a big understanding and even if they do that's still got to be kind of hard to hear especially like oh we got to do take 38 you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, it'd be interesting to see you know especially back then you know they didn't have sensitivity training and 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 you know on on site you know folks to talk if you needed to uh <laughs> You know, it reminds me. It reminds me a bit of uh, when they were talking about um, uh, the Black Klansmen. Uh, you know, with mm. uh, 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 Wesley Sn- uh, uh, with um, um, John David jo- Washington. Yeah, and uh, um, the director Sp- um, Spike, uh, Spike Lee. Lee. Yeah. Spike Lee was, I think, it was telling Topher Grace because Topher Grace is playing the head of the KKK, and Spike Lee was telling. <laughs> Topher, what to say <laughs> that wasn't in the script? And he goes, he said there were a number of times he goes, Spike's telling me to say this <laughs> because it was. He's like he had trouble saying some of the dialogue in that, obviously, because he's playing, you know, uber racist guy, uh, head of the clan, <laughs> and Spike Lee would just come up and whisper to him and tell him what to say, and he's just like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm glad that story went the way it was because I thought you were going to say Spike Lee kept having to tell Topher, look, tone it down. That's not no. the script. Stick to the dialogue. <laughs> uh, I saw in two different interviews, apparently, no, Spike wanted him to ramp it up a bit. He was barely comfortable playing the character as it was. Man. But the thing is, uh, from what I've read about Spike, I'm like, I could totally see him say that. Hey, hey, hey Topher, say this. What? <laughs> but he wasn't rolling, just having him say it into his cell phone so later on he could uh, get some, some blackmail on it. <laughs> You're not going to believe. You remember, when you, shows star. Yeah. you remember when you said this? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. Because I think that was, yeah, that was Topher Grace who played the uh, the head of the clans, I think. Um it, it, I forget. I yeah. I think it was uh, him. Um, but in any case, uh, that was I. I liked that movie quite a bit. But I just found that story funny. That yeah, it was <laughs> Topher Grace playing David Duke. <laughs> it's like because uh, talking about dialogue. So yeah, no, the dialogue in here is rough to hear people talk about it. But you know that's their character. But even in that context, it, it's probably gonna be a bit tough to hear but i i think this is a film that is also worth watching even though it's it's from 71 and even with some of the problematic parts overall it's a really interesting film it's you know that not what is advertised let's put it that way there's more to it than what's advertised and uh Oh, yeah. I rented this off Amazon. And again, I'm kind of pissed that there's not a great Blu-ray release because it was a really good transfer, especially mm-hmm. if you look at like IMDb or even like the Amazon preview. Right. They start showing a trailer and it looks like it looks like this trailer from 1971. It's all grainy and crappy <laughs> looking, but it's a pristine, a pretty pristine transfer. It is. So you can rent it. I almost recommend buying it sight on scene because, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So thank you, Mark, for recommending this. Well, you're you're welcome. I'm I'm glad it worked out. You know, like uh, a number of these picks are uh, sometimes are just blind picks of I'm just going with the theme and uh, luck out. And and this is one of those times where we really lucked out, and it, it was fun. It was uh, definitely an enjoyable watch. 
Last thing, speaking of themes, yeah. uh, a carryover from last month. I don't know if you caught uh -huh. it, but one of the towns they were in, there was a grain and feed store in the background mm -hmm. named Stoker. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. I, and, you know, you mentioned the town names. It's it's there was there was Fair Shake and Dirty Shame was a couple of the town names. I loved the town names. It it was uh yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, and one of my other favorite lines, uh <laughs> uh Jason is walking along and uh uh, Quincy tells him at one point because the, the town they're in, this is when they first come into town. He goes, uh, just make sure you know, uh, be happy. And he says something to the effect of, Happy is that the one where the mouth turns up? And he's like, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's the delivery between Gardner and God and Gossett. The, the two of these plate, their banter is so natural. It it really makes their partnership work well. It's, I mean, they they rattle it off very well. So, so there you have it, folks. Hope that uh, make you seek it out. And now, as always, hashtag license to shill to my uh, good friend and co-host here, Mr. Ian Simmons. So please, sir, uh, shill away. Thank you. Um, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com or on YouTube if you look up kicking the seat on YouTube. Um, we do weekly uh, movie reviews and interviews and all kinds of crazy series and stuff. This Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central, we're going to be doing a live stream about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And uh, Mark, I hope you can join me because I have this sinking feeling that I'm going to be defending this movie possibly all by myself to people <laughs> who may not have cared for it so much. Uh, that's always fun. That's uh, baffling. I'm baffled. I the impression I was getting given by some of the comments. It was kind of like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll, we'll see. It, it, it'll be a spirited discussion uh, either way because I I do have some issues with Guardians 3, but honestly, on the on the whole, and not mm -hmm. to completely play my hand, I, I thought it was a great way to, to end this series. Mm -hmm. And even though it's my big return to comic book movies, I also felt like this could be my last. I, I know we got the Flash coming out, but in terms of like Marvel stuff, and partially because there's a strike going on right now, uh, if this were the last Marvel comics movie I ever saw, I'd be I'd be okay with that. <laughs> nice. Well, it should be an interesting discussion. I'll definitely uh, try to make it uh, to help you out with it because yeah, it was. I folks can, if you're at all interested, you can catch my Movie Man's Movie Minute where I. Uh, I give my one minute summary of if you haven't seen them so far, they're on TikTok as well as YouTube right here. Uh, I try to summarize and give my thoughts, my quick thoughts on a wide release film in one minute. Um, and they've been fun to do. I've been doing it almost two years now. Um, it doesn't seem like it and people seem to like it. Uh, so maybe it's just the way my brain is wired. Uh, as, <laughs> as far as my stuff goes, well, you're here now, but if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our channel. Uh, we're trying to hit 2,500 subscribers by the end of the year, which may seem like a low number for someone who's been doing it for almost 17 years. But for me, uh, it'd be great if we just hit that number or beyond. It'd be cool. It'd be cool to hit that. Uh, good to have goals. I figured I'd set a goal this year. Uh, and also look for, we've got uh, three reviews that dropped. We've got two more coming. 
Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff on the way. I've got an interview with a gentleman who made a film called Mickey Hardaway, which was a dramatic indie film that uh, I really enjoyed. And I've got an interview with the filmmaker and director, Marcellus Cox. We've got that interview coming up uh, next week. So I'm going to be talking to him uh, about his film. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we've got a lot of other great stuff coming on that you can do by just subscribing. Hit the subscribe button. And even if you want, hit the little bell so you know when I'm posting crap. Uh, or you know <laughs> when to avoid the channel. But either way, hit the bell and subscribe. <laughs> that way you know what not to watch on my channel. But in any case, thank you so much. Please subscribe to our podcast as well. we got a lot of great stuff coming up. A uh, whole, you know, whole bunch of stuff. And uh, next film that we're going to be covering will be The Revisit. It's going to be Under the Skin, our first spoiler room revisit, where we will be looking at a film that we looked at a number of years ago. So we'll see if I still feel the same way about it. And, uh, yeah, hope you tune into that. So until then, folks, we'll just say a good night, everyone. Good night. Hey everyone, looking for more Spoiler Room goodness? Then head on over to patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions where you can get access to even more wonderful podcast content. Hear the conversation that happens before the live broadcast. You can also get access to an exclusive VIP episode that you vote on that's especially for you or get early access to all our videos on YouTube plus more. So check it out there, folks. And the more you do there, the more we can do here. And remember, with the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.